All right, welcome to another week of Latter-day Conversations podcast. Um, I'm here with you, Mike, and... Cade. <laughs> Sorry, Cade, I threw you off. <laughs> because uh, usually we don't do that, but uh, there's our <laughs> formal introduction, as we don't often do, just in case you forget our names. Um, but we've got some good questions this week, and uh, we missed last week. Sometimes uh, with our schedules, we're going to have to miss a week here and there, but we try to do them every week. Um, but here's this week, and I think you guys will enjoy it. These are some great questions, and I think we'll have some good discussion. So I'll start out by asking Cade the first question, and we'll get it rolling. Okay, here we go, Cade. We know that prophets and apostles are fallible men. How do we both sustain them in their calling while discerning when they speak as a man with, without neglecting their prophetic roles? All right, so that is a great question. I think this is a, a kind of a tough one that... A lot of people come across, I know I've come across this same question quite a few times. Um, I think first and foremost, we have to remember that uh, prophets are normal people just like us, right? They also have the ability to receive revelation and often um, do speak with the Lord as well, right? But but one of the important things is that uh, I believe it was Joseph Smith that taught it that prophets are only prophets when they are acting as such. Right. So in other words, a, a good way to determine if a prophet is acting as a prophet is uh, when they are guided by that same Holy Spirit. And so past that, I think it's it's kind of a difficult thing to determine, like when they are fulfilling the prophet prophetic role and when they are speaking as a man. Right. There's plenty of church history, which uh, has a lot of um, people saying certain things in somewhat authoritative manners. Uh, where we kind of have uh, denied that a little bit more in our day today. So past that, I don't know. What what are your thoughts, Mike? Yeah, yeah. I came across the quote you were talking about from church history and what Joseph Smith said, um, that a prophet was only a prophet when he's acting as such. And um, I think that's, that's a good way to put it. Like, it, you know, I don't have a problem with prophets being fallible. Um, and I think maybe some people do. Maybe some people put them on a pedestal and, and have these expectations that are unrealistic for any human being. And then when they meet that person, which did happen in Joseph Smith's day, and I'm sure with many other prophets, they were kind of appalled. And uh, I think their faith was kind of hurt a little bit because like, whoa, this person's not acting like the kind of prophet I thought they were. Maybe they, they seem, uh, I don't know, when I think someone saw Joseph Smith playing uh, kind of in a juvenile way with the kids, you know, just having a fun time. And they're like, whoa, this doesn't seem like the... Um, <laughs> pretentious sort of prophet-like figure that they imagined. And I would like to think that even probably happened with Christ sometimes. Um, not that exact example, but I think people may have been surprised by seeing him as a mortal person um, during his life. And um, anyway, that's, that's kind of speculative. But yeah, point is, Cade, I agree with you. I think that it, it is not a problem that uh, a prophet is fallible. Um, and also, you know, they're only acting as a prophet when they're a prophet or when they're only a prophet when they're acting as a prophet. <laughs> so anyway, um, I, I have some other quotes here um, that maybe I can throw on here before you give any other thoughts you have um, and continue this. But uh, one I got one from the first presidency was the position is not assumed that the men of the new dispensation, its prophets, apostles, presidencies and other leaders are without faults or infallible. Rather, they are treated as men of like passions with their fellow men. And then Brigham Young, I like um, his quote on this. He says, can a prophet or an apostle be mistaken? 
Do not ask me any such question, for I will acknowledge that all the time. But I do not acknowledge that I designedly lead this people astray one hair's breadth from the truth. I do not knowingly do a wrong, though I may commit many wrongs, and so may you. But I overlook your weaknesses, and I know by experience that the saints lift their heads to God, that I may be led right. So I like that one a lot. I think that uh, sums up my thoughts in it uh, pretty well. I, I really like that. I, I think along that same uh, thought process, this, you know, th- this question that a lot of people might have of, well, you know, it's, it's kind of a difficult thing to discern when they are acting as a prophet or not. I think that that's kind of where the question leads to, but I think ultimately in the fallibility of prophets and apostles, that if anything, it should strengthen your testimony of them rather than hurt it, uh, to, that God can find some people just like fishermen or tax collectors or businessmen of our day and make them into his messengers and his servants that any one of us people who are just common normal everyday people can also fulfill such majestic and important roles in god's kingdom and building up his perfect kingdom right that Mm -hmm. though though they uh, might make mistakes they are ultimately like that quote of brigham young says you know that their ultimate goal is to bring them to christ Right, through ordinances and covenants, through ensuring that they go on that covenant path, right? And I, I think ultimately, while they might make mistakes, I, I know I've <laughs> I, I've read uh, in Elder McConkie's story, he has some examples where the brethren were discussing like uh, how to go about uh, increasing how many people were converted to Christ, right? And they they came up with the decision that they'd go out and um, change the missionary discussions so that they were more Christ focused and they stopped talking about the differences and more about the similarities is what they did. Right. And what they noticed is within that upcoming year, the, the amount of book of Mormons that had been sold dropped by about half of a million that year. And so, so they recognized that they had made some mistakes and I, and I think it's, it's okay. They're, they're normal fallible men though. They make important decisions and they're well guided, but it's not that God speaks to them in every single decision, right? Just like in the apostles of old where, uh, they discuss uh, the admission of, of new converts, right? And whether or not they have to be circumcised. And, and they have discussion and counsel just like we do today. And these men who are guided by inspiration and experience and anointed by God to fulfill that purpose, that, yeah, we can support them. We can support these wise men and recognize though they are fallible, they still can fulfill that incredible role that they have been assigned to do. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I think, uh, so this clears up something and maybe is our first suggestion from our own experience that we would give anyone listening, which is, you know, if you have the notion in your head that anyone who is prophetic or God is going to use is going to be perfect, or you're putting them on a pedestal and expecting them to be infallible, you're mistaken. So first correct that. That, I think that's the first uh, consequence of what we're saying here. But once you get to that point, then you realize that, you know, there can be mistakes made and you, you kind of let into this, Cade, but it brings up the question of, okay, so when do I trust that they are acting as a prophet or speaking for God? And when, uh, what situations are they maybe mistaken? And am I the one to judge that? And does that mean that every time a prophet tells me something, I've got to question, is this from God or is this just them as a person speaking and uh, then you got to use your own judgment and does that undermine their prophetic calling 
uh, rather than you just trusting and believing that they are acting, you know, so it, it does get a little gray there and a little um, difficult to work through. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's, that's one difficult part of this. Um, well, and if, yeah, if go it's ahead. okay if I cut in real quick, I, I think that that is such a good point that ultimately it does come down to, well, how do you distinguish it? Right. And, and does that undermine um, what they're actually going through and doing? And I think uh, probably one of my favorite verses for at least this kind of a topic, it's in DNC 21, um, but, it, but it talks about how um, we should follow their guidance in all patience and faith, right? That if God were speaking to us, we would, I hope at very least, that we would give him a little bit of patience with what he says, that we would perhaps at least consider it without questioning every single thing that he does. Though so that's exactly what happened when Christ came in his mortal <laughs> ministry, right? As everyone questioned everything he did all the time. And, and I think ultimately we all have our own perceptions of this perfect being, right? Of, and we kind of lead that on to these apostles a little bit, that they're at this high and holy calling, which it surely is. But I think often we have to recognize that these people are great and just very well qualified and the Lord does qualify them. So as DNC 21 says that we really should just take a little bit of time to give them a little bit of patience and a little bit of faith in what they have said to us. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. Um, so this leads into my point here, which would be that I don't believe that obeying a prophet is ever going to do you any harm. And I've got to qualify this because I know there are examples that people might bring up. Um, let me bring up a few, or one instance that comes to my mind. Um, in the early church, if you know church history, um, Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon made the Kirtland Safety Society Bank. Was it Sidney Rigdon with them? Kate, you probably know. I believe it was. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, um, quite, uh, quite a few. Others. I think it was Sidney Rigdon and the, uh, the Partridge, I believe, as well. Okay, yeah, that sounds right. So they create this bank, which was a, not an uncommon thing for organizations or people to do at the time. I think even Andrew Jackson made a bank that later failed. So I, I guess it was a bit more common for banks to be popping up and people to be making them. But anyway, they made this Kirtland Safety Society Bank and uh, you know suggested that church members invest in it and uh, use the bank um, in Kirtland there and you know really uh, promoted it. And eventually there were critics of the church and antagonistic people toward the church that kept the banknotes and, you know, conspired against it. And those combined with may, maybe some other short uh, followings of Joseph Smith and or, managing it and organizing those affairs, it actually failed. And um, so some, you know, a lot of members who had invested in that lost money. And so that could be an example. Someone says, hey, well, why didn't, uh, if Joseph Smith was a prophet, why didn't he have foresight? And how could he have given that advice and promoted this and led members to invest in it when it ended up failing and they lost money? Isn't that a bad thing? You know, were they, um, did they have a bad consequence from following the prophet? So that's an example someone could bring up. And so I, again, stand by what I said. I don't think you'll ever be um, in the long run hurt by following a prophet. And so how do I reconcile those? I think that even if you follow advice from a prophet or someone who's inspired of God, and it seems to fail in that instant, God will reward you in the long run for your obedience. Maybe those people learned a lesson about 
you know, where their hearts are set. Maybe they're not set on money anymore. They realize something else or they realize they're devoted to give it to God or God rewarded them just as if they had given that money to him, even though it ended up going to a failed bank. So anyway, I think that uh, that's sound advice I would give. Never uh, resist following the suggestion of a prophet. I could not have said it any better. I think that is very wise counsel um, coming from someone who tries his best to obey some very wise men who have been appointed by God. And, and I think, you know, to add to that just a little bit, if that's okay, um, I think we got to recognize that while prophets and apostles too, while they do receive revelation very frequently, they are not God. They don't know all things. They do not have that perfect knowledge of everything though they are in communion with God, and I'm sure they know a heck of a lot more than I do, <laughs> or than pretty much anyone else on this planet, which is saying something, um, that they truly are in tune with God. And I think the ultimate uh, test to recognize when someone is speaking as a prophet or when they are not is to learn to have that same spirit yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. And Who was it that said, like, and I think it was Brigham Young that anything he says, you will also have the ability to receive a witness from the spirit that it's true. Yeah. Yeah. And Joseph Smith was a huge example of that. For example, in uh, when he was teaching Brigham Young about even polygamy, for example, um, Brigham Young was very hesitant about it. And he's like, okay, well go and receive your own witness. Right. And so Brigham Young left and ran back maybe a minute later. And he's like, I, I have received my witness enough. So anyway, over mm. and over again, that's, that's been a consistent thing. We never ask someone to believe something just on our own merit, but find your own witness. That's, that's the whole message of the restoration. Learn to receive re revelation yourself as well. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, there was one last thought I had when I was thinking about this. Um, let's see. So I, I wanted to make the distinction of when we're obeying, we're not doing this merely out of blind obedience. That's out of, fear, you know, of following this authoritative figure um, out of fear, but it's more motivated by faith and love. And when you're doing, obeying a prophet out of faith and love, I think you will surely be rewarded. Um, so another extra thing I wanted to add on this, Kate, and maybe you can comment on this. I wanted to point out some examples I could think of when men of God, um, and this could be women of God too, who serve in a, a important role or you know, there have been prophetic women in, in history too, not to leave them out, but this, this is true of anyone. But I thought of a few examples um, where there is fallibility with these people. And the point of bringing these examples up, I think, is to work through it and digest and create a stronger framework of thinking how we can digest prophets as fallible people. So um, one example is doubting Thomas in the New Testament. He didn't believe Christ was resurrected uh, until he saw him. Peter denied Christ three times after Christ uh, was crucified. Moses and Aaron were both punished and not allowed to enter into the promised land and dwell there because of their disobedience earlier in the journey. Uh, Moses was supposed to speak to the rock of Horeb when the water was coming out instead of smiting it um, the second time, but he smote it. And he, he didn't have faith in God the way that God directed him to do that. And so God told him, all right, you're not making it to the promised land. So, I mean, Moses was very fallible there. And he had other weaknesses you can see throughout that uh, very trying journey where he had to act uh, as a parent of some <laughs> very annoying children. 
at times. Uh, and I already mentioned the Joseph Smith Kirtland Safety Society, which failed there. Um, Brigham Young said that the sun and moon were inhabited. He said, so it is with regard to the inhabitants of the sun. Do you think it is inha inhabited? I rather think it is. Do you think there is any life there? No question of it. It was not made in vain. And so, you know, he's saying, I rather think it is, and he's posing it as obvious speculation. But from our latest, you know, modern scientific understanding, that appears to be false. And maybe he's talking about the spirit realm. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> uh, that appears to be false. And kind of on that note, Joseph Fielding Smith said, we will never get a man into space. This is in 1961. He said, the earth is man's sphere, and it was never intended that he should get away from it. The moon is a superior planet to the earth, and it was never intended that man should go there. You can write it down in your books that this will never happen. <laughs> and then when it did happen, he said, well, I was wrong, wasn't I? You know, and, <laughs> and you can go on, you know, Bruce R. McConkie said blacks would never get the priesthood. And right. um, Gordon B. Hinckley was deceived by uh, Mark Hoffman's forgeries. There are little things here and there, but I, I can tell you, you know, from someone who knows about these, these do not bother me at all. I see these as just natural facts that can easily exist in the framework I use to believe in these men as prophets, seers, and revelators, even though, you know, they have their weakness. So none of these are a problem to me, even though for some, I think some have left the church because of some of these individual examples. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll bring this back just a little bit, maybe hopefully in a similar direction. Uh, but I, I think this is a very important concept to grasp for everyone is that uh, a lot of people will go to official declaration number one, where Wilford Woodruff basically says that the, the Lord will never permit uh, me or any other person who stands as the president of the church to lead you astray. Right. It's not in the program. It's, it will never happen. <laughs> right. And, and that's canonized scripture. Right. Now, that being said, I do not believe that that statement means that they can't make mistakes, that they can't, <laughs> you know, say that, hey, maybe there, maybe there are some people living up in the moon or in the sun. You know, it, it doesn't change the fact that they are never going to lead the church into apostasy. That's what I, I, I take that statement to be, that the Lord's apostles and his prophets will guide us always consistent within the covenants that we make to bring us into the presence of God, right? And, and that's that's the focus, right? There's been so many ex examples. I mean, we could go through all of the Old Testament, New Testament, mm -hmm. and, and so on to find just tons, hundreds of examples, especially just our own church history. We have plenty of examples of people being fallible. But ultimately, I think we got to recognize these people are people just like us. They are, they're not gods. They're, they're not exempt from the rule of being perfect right now all the time. They, too, are trying to come closer to God, our Father, and Jesus, his Son. And they do that in the same way that we do. And I think that's the goal. Now, is that to say that you should speculate on every single word that falls from their mouth? No. But I think that your, your guidance from earlier, right, that you will never go wrong following their counsel, at very least, um, that you will be rewarded for your obedience for following God's servants, right? And I think that's mm -hmm. ultimately the point that we should follow on is just, just remember, <laughs> if anything, it's impressive that they do as much as they do being the fallible men that they are. Yeah. And Kate, could I end with an analogy? Because you know, I love my analogies. Oh, I love your analogies too. Go for it. <laughs> so this ties in more to something you said at the beginning. And I thought of this, uh, but I forgot to say it. Uh, so you said we should be impressed, or I think this is what you said, we should be impressed that God is able to accomplish his work through imperfect uh, people 
rather than using only perfect people to accomplish his work. Like it's more impressive of a feat, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it reminds me of, you know, if you see a professional athlete and let's say a skier, you see a professional skier and they show up and they, you know, you're riding on the lift together, going up the mountain and they have got old seventies skis from the seventies. And, you know, the bindings are super outdated. The boots are, you know, super worn out. They look like they still have the DI ta- uh, sticker on them, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, you know, they're sitting there telling you that they're a world champion. They're the best in the world. They're like, yeah, right. Like there's no way I believe this guy, his equipment's not up to par. It's really imperfect equipment. Um, but then if they go down the mountain and they ski like no one you've ever seen before, uh, you know, you can tell, okay, you know, I guess the equipment doesn't determine if they're a perfect skier, it's their skill. So I think the same could be said of God. We shouldn't judge him because he's using outdated equipment or imperfect equipment. He is that professional skier who is perfect and he can accomplish his means. He can get down the mountain and ski better than anyone else using that imperfect, uh, <laughs> imperfect equipment. So I think that's kind of how he works with us as humans. You know, he can use us and still accomplish his work. Actually, I really like your analogies. Um, and I, I think that kind of leads us into our next question a little bit, at least. You know? um, the, the question is this, is everything that happens God's will or does anything ever happen against his will? If so, why doesn't he stop these things from happening? Mm, I love this question. And I think uh, it hits on another point that I think we sometimes get caught up in and it's to our own detriment. So the first point I, I'm speaking of is the one that we put prophets and apostles on pedestals and think that they're perfect. Well, this point would be that everything that happens is God's will. And this leads us to saying things like, oh, you know, I guess God wanted me to not get that job or, um, oh, I guess you know, God gave me this cancer. So what am I going to do with it? You know, and it, I think sometimes we can really get in a, a bad fault that makes us have a hard relationship with God when we think this. So, okay, let me back up now and give my answer. Um, so again, is everything that happens God's will? No, absolutely not. Um, do you think it was God's will that, you know, a third of the hosts of heaven left? Do you think it's his will that the Holocaust happens? Do you think it's his will that, um, you know, people are murdered and raped every day? Of course not. That, that is not God's will. Um, so if something does happen that's against God's will, why doesn't he stop this from happening? Um, well, this is the real question, and it could get pretty philosophical, I think, uh, which, you know, may not be very fruitful of a discussion. Uh, maybe some, but um, I think that God withholds his power to stop these things from happening because they would compromise more important uh, values from being accomplished. So let me use an example here um, to make my point. In Moses 7, Enoch is having this uh, experience with God. He's talking with him and getting all this revelation. And at one point, um, God is weeping at the residue of the people that are going to die in the flood um, during Noah's time. And Enoch, it says, bore record saying, how is it that the heavens weep and shed forth their tears as the rain upon the mountain? And then he asks the Lord, how is it that thou canst weep, seeing thou art holy and from all eternity to all eternity? So the fact that God is weeping implies that he is sad. And if God is sad, that implies something is happening that he didn't want to happen. He wished didn't happen. And if something is happening that God didn't wish to happen, why did he do that? 
it's the same question, um, yeah. but just a different way to approach it. So yeah, I think, well, why didn't God stop the flood from happening? Well, it's because the flood was to wipe out the wickedness that was just bringing continual perpetual violence and wickedness on the earth. So people were just being born into misery and suffering. So God said it would be better to purge the earth of this. So that's sad. Um, but, you know, so it, it's kind of like, I think God is choosing between two difficult decisions. And uh, anyway, I could go further on this and explore the omnipotence of God and how, you know, why doesn't he just snap his fingers and start fresh? And why did he even create a scenario that could get here in the first place? But anyway, I'll let yeah. you talk. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think you bring up a lot of really good points. Why doesn't he just do this? And I, I think one of the most important things to understand about God is that he is bound by certain laws, right? He can't just do anything and still continue to be God. If, if any book of scripture teaches that, the Book of Mormon does multiple times, right? And he would cease to be God if, if he did this or that or whatever. Mm. And I could pull up some of those uh, various scriptures. But, but the point is that he respects these laws because by respecting those laws, he is able to be who he is, right? God is God because he is exactly who he is and not any other way. Right, Jesus is perfect because he does exactly what he does and in no other way. And, and I think ultimately one of the biggest things that they often do is they respect the agency of others. Right, You mentioned the third of the hosts of heaven who fell from, uh, from before this existence. Right, uh, Even Adam and Eve partaking of the fruit. They're, they're being tempted by Satan. Right, Is there a different plan that was in place? Does God allow things to happen according to the agency of men? Does he want all of these terrible things to happen all the time to people? No, he, he, of course he doesn't. But he has to respect these laws. He has to respect the principle of agency for one thing and, and many, many various other things. What, one thing that would actually always bug me on my mission is, um, I, for example, I'd go and I'd ask these people and I'd be like, you know, will, will you come to church this Sunday, you know? And uh, they'd always be like, oh, si, si Dios quiere, if, if, God, if God wills it then I'll, I'll be there. I'm like, well, yeah. And, and, and I, I, I got kind of upset with that towards the end of my mission. I'd say, he does will it. <laughs> will, will, will you come? You know, I, I will, he will make a way for you to come. Okay. Oh, I will such a passive way to dis <laughs> yeah, dismiss the obligation and responsibility. Right. And, and, and I think that God's will is so much more broad than we think it is. It, it's not this one strict little thing. If you don't do exactly this, that, or another. Right. I, I think that a lot of it is conditioned on a lot of things, right? I think, for example, his will not necessarily changes, but the outcome can change dependent on our faith, right? For example, one of my favorite scriptures is in DNC 42. It talks about uh, how elders can go and lay their hands on two or more people and, and pray on them. And, and then uh, essentially it gives a condition, right? It says that unless they are appointed unto death and the, then they will not be healed. But in any other scenario, essentially, if they have the faith to be healed, they will be healed, except they be appointed unto death is, is the only condition it gives, right? Mm. And, and I think to some degree, that's how God's will is. That yes, there will be people who are sick. And if they have that kind of a faith, that they will enjoy those kind of blessings, except on those conditions. There are always going to be some sort of conditions, right? You, you are free to partake of this fruit. Right. I, I'm commanding you don't 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 partake. Uh, oh, sorry, I can't even speak right now. I'm sorry, guys. I'm, I'm a little bit. I got a little bit of a cold, but um, <laughs> go in the garden, partake of any of the fruit, except for you know the fruit of these two tree of this tree. For in the day you do, you shall surely die. Don't partake of it. But if you do in that day, here is the condition. You will die. 
right? And, and, and that's kind of how God's will is, at least to my understanding, that there are conditions to it. If you have the faith to, to, to pray with such faith that God appears to you, so be it. He will, so long as you are abiding by the conditions. If you are pure enough, if you are seeking him with enough faith, right? You can enjoy blessings beyond that which normal people enjoy. Uh, I don't know if that kind of answers the question a little bit, but I, I, I think that, yes, there are things that happen against his will, but he is bound by things, and so he has to abide by those laws which enable him to be God. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I think uh, God's will is such that it's not he's not going to micromanage us. It's pretty general, like you're saying. Um, so I think that can become a problem when we start we start wanting God to make all our decisions for us. And I think sometimes we do that to absolve ourselves from any responsibility for our actions. It's like the people on your mission you're talking about. Um, you know, if you just say everything's up to God, then you don't have a responsibility. And then if things go awry, then you can just say, well, I guess this is the way God wants it to be. And I think that is a horrible and passive way to live your life that uh, totally takes the reins of your life out of your own hands. And I don't think that's what God wants us to become. Um, so yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. And uh, let's see how, I forgot the path that we took to even, even get on that point. But anyway, yeah, that's what I think about that. I, I really agree. Yeah, and, and uh, you saying that actually kind of reminds me why, where I was trying to head to a little bit. Um, back to kind of priesthood blessings, for example, with the will of God. I, I don't know. I've noticed that same position that most people take, to some degree at least, is, is kind of the, the out, right? They'll, they'll give a priesthood blessing. And at the end of a lot of priesthood blessings, I've noticed that people say, according to God's will, which I think can be a very good thing, right? You're trying to be aligned with God's will. But at least in my opinion, I've seen, it seems to me that a lot of people take that as an out almost as a way to avoid a responsibility for, for having that kind of faith that's needed to give a powerful blessing given from God, if that makes sense. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I like where you're taking this. Okay. So um, yeah, this is very common in our culture, at least um, in America, West America, um, United States right here, at least. I don't know what it's like in Africa and stuff. Maybe they have, you know, more faith and more deliberate in their priesthood blessings. But we do that, Cade, just like you said. Um, everyone, you know, might end the prayer saying, and God's will be done and this and that. And you're like, well, what's my will? And, you know, how can someone have the gift of healing if we're not um, deliberate enough to call it out and call the powers of heaven? I want to hear more priesthood blessings that say, I command this demon to come out of you. And I, I command this disease yeah. to be healed. You know, I... I want us to be more like that. And I, I admit sometimes it's hard because um, what if it doesn't happen? Then what? Yeah. And um, that's hard because then it doesn't mean, oh, everyone's going to think, oh, you, you're probably not a worthy priesthood holder. Maybe you weren't in tune with God when you said that. Or, uh, you know, maybe you or the person didn't have enough faith. I don't know. But I just yeah. know that um, what we're doing now is in contrast to what seems to be in the scriptures. And that does kind of bother me. Yeah, I agree. And I'll, I'll add another insight. I was reading through, uh, it's in the autobiography. Uh, is it in the autobiography? No, it's in, so Truman G. Madsen, he has a eight, eight lecture series of, about Joseph Smith. And in one of those lectures, he mentions an experience of Joseph Smith teaching the elders. You can find this in uh, um, the Joseph Smith papers as well. But but he, he talks to the elders and he essentially teaches them how to give priesthood blessings, right? So in, in this example, he's going and he's talking with Hiram Smith was there, Sidney Rigdon and a few others, I believe. And they were giving a blessing to a man, right? And in, in this experience, Joseph teaches them, he's like, okay, go around the circle and each of you give a blessing until one of you obtains the spirit sufficient to promise them to be whole. And then 
you give them that blessing to be whole, right? So, so essentially, unless right, unless those conditions are met, that they are to die, right, which is the only condition I've ever found in Scripture that can, you know, that uh, makes it so you can't give a blessing to someone, though you can still raise the dead, I guess, <laughs> to some degree. I've heard some interesting stories on that, but, but, but that you need to obtain that power to do so. And and elsewhere, when he's reprimanding some elders who had gone out and and given priesthood blessings to others, and I can find the exact quotations if you want to put this in the um, in in the heading or something. But but yeah. in in this uh, reprimand to some elders who had gone out and started um, giving blessings to people without giving them promises to be healed, he reprimands them and says, "Stop going out and and using the forms of godliness without the power thereof." Right. And, I, and that was just so powerful to me that I, I think often we kind of use these these experiences where we need to have that kind of faith to become the kind of people where we can truly be called saints of God. And and that faith is not easy. I'm not saying that every single person is going to be able to do that like that. But I think we can start trying. I think we can do a little bit better tomorrow than we did today. And I think we can at very least strive towards perfection in and through Christ. Right. And and, and if we follow these principles and recognize that God's will is that he heals his, his children, it is that he gives us revelation, it is that he does all of these miraculous things in our life, for he is a God of miracles, that we will see those more often in our lives. We, I think to some degree, we've almost gotten to a point where we've almost stopped believing in these kind of things to some degree. But, it, but if we just try to invoke the power of God in our lives. As President Nelson has taught multiple times, don't just give a prayer, but act with authority, right? Uh, that we will start to see these blessings more and more. I know I, I have done that, and I have seen many blessings in my life that are very, very real. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that's that's great advice. I'd love to get there. Um, although it does, it does make me wonder, you know, every time we get a health problem, does that mean you call upon the elders and, and get a blessing because I know um, on my mission, I know there was a family that I don't know why they didn't just ask the, the father. Maybe there's some issue there in the family, but they would ask us to come over every single time someone like, you know, was sick or sometimes even had a bad day and was kind of depressed, you know, and, and it seems uh, a bit, it was frequent. And I started asking the question of, now, I wonder if they're kind of overusing a priesthood blessing, but at the same time as an elder, I never want to refuse anyone, you know, that opportunity because I, I want to act in my calling. If they're asking, I want to give. Um, and so that was kind of a hard scenario. And so, you know, with Joseph Smith, he had um, some problems with his health later in life, especially come up. Why didn't he, you know, heal himself or find a, go to the elders to get healed of that? And uh, Many of the Latter-day Prophets, um, Spencer W. Kimball and many others have had major health problems. Why didn't they just ask one of the apostles to use their exceedingly great faith to heal them? And so, you know, it kind of gets into this question, while we can and we should expect great blessings and the gift of healing, um, is it always going to be God's will to be healed? And what, what about when it's not? What about when you do get cancer or something and it, and it does not look like it's going away and you have prayed and it's not working, you know, that's, I think uh, just in a practical sense, this would be a conversation that would be interesting to pursue. Yeah. And, and, and I think some, I, I know that some general authorities have discussed this a little bit as well. And I, I think ultimately maybe I am a little bit too zealous on this uh, topic by, by chance, but, 
but there are obviously some conditions, right? The only two that I personally know of from what I've studied is if they are appointed unto death or the faith that you have, right? And, and it's not necessarily even the faith that the person giving the blessing has uh, is what it seems to be. And uh, Spencer Kimball even discusses this in one of his uh, talks as well. But in DM42, it specifically outlines that the faith who of who is giving the blessing as well, right? And, and that is a good question. Well, why don't they just get healed every time if they just need to have the faith to do it, right? And right. I think I, I think that maybe that kind of faith is just—it's it, a lot. I mean, to have the kind of faith to command someone to be whole every single time you lay hands upon their head, except they be appointed unto death—that's that—that is a great amount of faith. Uh, you know? So, do you think we maybe just can't conjure that as mortal beings? Because to to your point here, if that is what you're saying, if Jesus was here, he probably would heal everyone, right? In his um, ascendant state, he came down and said, are there any maimed among you? Any sick, any, anything, yeah. send them yeah. all my way. I'll heal all of them. And, yeah. uh, so yeah, I, I think that does support your point. Maybe it's and, hard and, as mortals. Yeah. And I, and I, and I, I do believe this. I genuinely do. I, I think that we as mortals too have a lot more power or we can have a lot more power than we often do though. I, I, I like where your head's going. That's actually where I was going to go next, but, um, but, but that's the whole point, right? I mean, Moroni talks about, you know, if, if these miracles are not wrought, it is by faith that, you know, angels appear and all this stuff. And it's because of unbelief. It's, it's because faith has ceased, right? Uh, in Moroni 7, it talks about that a lot. But, but, but that's the point. I think sometimes we almost sell ourselves so short, we don't recognize the power of the priesthood which has been given to us. The power of faith alone, right? It, it, these powers are the powers by which the heavens and earth were created and formed, right? My, one of my favorite stories of all of scripture is when Moses is going to the burning bush and, you know, Jehovah's speaking to him and, and he's like, well, I don't know. I'm not quick of tongue or whatever, something along those lines. And, and God's like, and who made your tongue, right? <laughs> hmm. but, but I think that's the point that, that sometimes maybe we just do need a little bit more faith. And, and that's not an easy thing to say, to say or to do or, or anything, even conceive. But I think we can start moving a little bit more in that direction and recognize that God's will is to bless his children. It is to give us revelation. It is to heal us. It is to help us to come to him. But in this fallen sphere, there are a lot of, there are a lot of conditions set up for good reason, right? We, we do not know everything. It would be a lot easier, I know, for me <laughs> if I knew everything and I knew exactly where I was going and I knew exactly how to get there perfectly, right? It yeah. would be all, all these things, right? If, if my agency, if I could just choose to do right every time, it would be so much easier. But that's not the plan. The, the whole purpose of the plan is for us to learn to choose to do what's right so we can become like God. And so, so long as we can follow that a point of God's will to help exalt ourselves and others around us, which is his will, right? His work and glory. Uh, then we'll be following the right path, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. So um, just on a note of takeaways or resources on this point, um, one takeaway I'm drawn here is, number one, do not assume that everything that happens is God's will, especially when it comes to your trials and health problems and whatever. Um, at least this is, this is kind of where my experience has taken me con to conclude. If you do get cancer or some chronic illness, first of all, uh, have faith, pursue priesthood blessings, pursue healing, uh, seek that gift. 
Um, but also, do not assume that God gave this to you. I, I think sometimes maybe that is the case, uh, you know, with Job. I don't know uh, how that all works. But I think often we live in a fallen world and we're, we succumb to uh, ailments of a physical nature. And God does not necessarily put those upon us, but he can use them to our benefit. So if you do get cancer, uh, it's not necessarily the case that God gave that to you. He doesn't want you to suffer with cancer, but he can use it to your gain if you trust in him. So maybe the question to ask isn't, why did God give this to me? But how can God use this for me? Um, and on that note, uh, there are two books that come to my mind. One is when, or The Weeping God by Terrell Givens. And the second one is When Bad Things Happen to Good People by Harold Kushner, who is a Jewish rabbi. So those are two great books I've read um, for someone who's going through a hard thing, wondering why God gave them that challenge. <laughs> so anyway, any other resources or things to uh, put on that, Cade, before we move on to the next question? Uh, no, I think those ones should be pretty good. Okay, cool. All right. Um, let's hit this next question then. I'll ask you, Cade. How do you receive revelation from God on important questions or issues in your life? And what does this pro process look like? Good question. I, I don't have anything. I mean, this is this will be probably what you've heard if you ever listen to any face-to-face -face or anything else uh, that most of the general authorities have taught in the last decade or so. But um, essentially for me, I spend time making sure I ponder and pray and uh, come out with decisions in my own mind of kind of the direction I've feel prompted in, in going. I analyze, you know, things maybe a little bit too much sometimes, but I, I, I make sure I, I do my due diligence, right. To study it out in my mind, I guess. Um, and then I'll, I'll pray. And often I will receive promptings of whether or not to continue with the direction, which I have chosen. Um, and that's usually how answers are received. It's, it's no crazy process of angels coming down to tell me every single time that, Hey, you should go to, <laughs> Weber State or BYU or, or whatever, but, but more of promptings that uh, continue to unfold throughout time. That being said, surely there are occasions where I do enjoy uh, greater processes of, of spiritual revelation, but, but for the most part, I think that's about how it, how it goes. What about you, Mike? Is, is that kind of a similar process of you kind of pondering, praying, and, and studying for yourself? Yeah. Yeah, and I think this dovetails nicely, too, with the conversation I'm glad you brought up with our previous question about, um, you know, what we should do before we're asking God and not wanting him to make our decisions for us all the time, but also seeking his will concerning things. Because like you, I think it's important to seek out your answers for yourself, study it up, um, because a well-studied mind can receive, I think, revelation from God and input from him better than someone who hasn't even thought about the question or thought about what their desires are. But um, I'll give two practical, unique practices I use to receive revelation. And these are from my own experience. I mean, obviously, we never in, are endorsed by the church in what we're saying. We're just two guys uh, giving our opinions and from our experience. But um, I think these ones are unique and maybe will be helpful for some people who are seeking specific revelation and ways to get uh, more deliberate and particular answers. So one is doing something like a decision tree. So a decision tree is just when you have a question and it's yes or no, or one outcome or another, and then that answer takes you to another question where you get more and more specific each time. So um, for example, if you're praying about which school to go to, maybe you could ask first, God, am I I'm supposed to go to a school 
um, here in the state? Or is it your will that I go here? Or are you okay if I go somewhere else? Because I want to go somewhere else. I've thought about it and I kind of want to get out of here or some, you know, and uh, you wait, you, you ask the question, God, uh, do you want me to, is it okay if I go out of state? Would that be in accordance with your will? And you wait and see if you feel peace and, um, you know, the simple light of God, or if you feel kind of confounded and, uh, you know, like it's a messy, chaotic feeling. Um, and I know this may be different for different people. And then you keep going after you've said the out of state one, you present to God your, um, your desires for which schools you've studied, you know, outside of the state, or this could be with someone to marry or something. And you may find sometimes that God really doesn't care because all of your outcomes are all righteous desires and it just depends on you. Um, So the decision tree is one method I think to use. And so the idea is, yeah, just ask a question, ask about one of the answers and see how you feel then ask about the other answer and see how you feel and then confirm whether that is right or wrong. Um, So that's one method. This other method is going to be more unique and may not feel very comfortable for some people, but I've used it and I feel like there's uh, merit to it. So there is this guy named Father Bill W., who is from the program Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, this guy used to be an alcoholic and he's a Episcopalian priest now. And I heard this from a friend of a friend who uh, turned me on to this guy's stuff. But he has some videos on YouTube if you type up two-way prayer of Father Bill W. And he walks you through this practice of basically just asking God a question and then writing down what you feel like God is saying to you. And for me, I just, I just uh, type a question on a, you know, my computer and pray to God and ask him that. And then I wait for a response and words come to my mind. And sometimes, you know, maybe it's the thoughts in my head. I don't know. But a lot of times I feel like it's definitely inspiration from God if I'm in a place where I can hear that. Um, and it's, you know, a way to get more specific revelation for and guidance for your life. But then again, you know, always pray about the guidance you receive and ask God if it is from him. And um, you know, make sure you filter through your own thoughts and stuff too. But you can look up that more if you'd like. That's called a two-way prayer. I kind of, you know, started typing up my prayers to God before. And I know that's kind of a weird practice, uncommon. A lot of people don't do that. But um, yeah, I think that those are two practical um, practices someone can do if they want to try something else. Wow, I really like those. I've never heard of uh, that second uh, video. Was it Bill? What was his name? Uh, Bill W. I don't know what his Bill last w. name is. Father Bill W. Okay. Father Bill W. I've never heard if of him. You just type up a two-way prayer and his name. I'm sure there'll be some videos come up and he's got a website too. Okay, cool. Well, I'll, I'll add just a couple thoughts real quick. Um, I know sometimes in my life too, there have been moments and are moments and probably will continue to be moments where I pray and do not feel as though I have adequately received an answer. And so in those moments, at least, I I continue with what answers I have received, and I push forward in faith and uh, continually to pay attention to um, what's going on. And I continue to pray about that same topic through time, and almost always I have received answers later on. So don't always expect every single answer every time to come on your own timetable necessarily, as difficult as that might be sometimes, I think. Um, <laughs> I do think that if you do have the kind of faith that yes, you, <laughs> I, I'm still working on that a little bit, but, but I do think that God would answer you pretty, pretty quickly. But, but I do think that sometimes some things you are, 
at least in my life, I've been left on my own to some degree. And so I continue with what revelation God has given to me and I go forward and I continue to pray about it and continue to pay attention to uh, the promptings that I receive. Yeah. I like that. It reminds me a little bit of Bednar, um, Elder Bednar. He says something, I think he said this, that sometimes you have enough light just to take, you know, one step and you got to take that next step before you'll get more light. So if you feel like, you know, you have kind of insufficient answer or revelation from God on what you're seeking, maybe you do have enough light to just take the next step or to wait another year and then the answer will come more clearly. So um, if you don't mind me sharing, Cade, I have two examples that come to my mind with uh, seeking revelation and prayer that I uh, could share. Yeah, so please, go ahead. One is um, recently I... Um, I had been interviewing at a couple different jobs and I got an offer from a place, but it was in Florida and I'd kind of been opening open to the idea of moving, but that's big. We live in Utah and we've got two kids and I was talking with my wife about it and neither one of us were too thrilled about the idea of moving because we love having our family around to help, you know, the kids and just to be around them, spend time with them. And um, we love being here in Utah. I love the mountains, mountain biking. Anyway, lot of reasons why we wanted to stay that we considered the idea and prayed about it and the answer that we felt we got was if you want to and that's kind of hard because sometimes you know you're like I don't want that I want you to tell me yes or no um, but I feel like the answer is just if you want to and you know what we decided not to even though the offer was really good probably more money than I could get here right now um, but I just didn't really want to I didn't uh, as I added up all the things I'm like you know I'm gonna decline that offer and I think it would have totally worked out to move there. I think God would have been fine with it. Everything would have rolled on. We could have had a great life um, with that decision being made. But I decided not to. And I think we can have a great life. And God is fine with it being this way too. And you know what? I'll even be as controversial to say that that is the case, even with um, my wonderful wife, who I'm so glad I married. And this is controversial. Most people wouldn't say this. I could have married someone else and it would have worked out just fine. There are many women out there who I could have got along with just fine and had a great life. But I chose my wife and we are very happy together. And, you know, we've had our uh, struggles together and um, it's strengthened us. And, I, and we're, you know, we, we love our life together. So I'm not uh, trying to say I'm dissatisfied at all. I'm just pointing out that there are many right choices. And sometimes it's just up to you what you choose. You know, I chose to marry my wife and God was okay with it. But I think maybe you would have been okay with many other too, you know, if I chose a, another wife, uh, a different one, not an additional one for anyone. It's <laughs> <laughs> confused there. Um, so that's, that's one example. And then another one to not try to ramble on too much here. But <laughs> I don't know if God would have been okay with the polygamous relationship <laughs> or my wife. Um, but anyway, another one comes to my mind, uh, and the point from the, this next story is that, for me at least, sometimes it seems like God's answer is more to put me in the right direction rather than to give me the right understanding. Or as I may be, you know, I'm, I may be misunderstanding what's eventually going to happen, but I'm going in the right direction. So, we're dating. Well, when we start dating, I was praying. Uh, a lot about where I should go to school. And I felt like I got the answer, I should not go to Weber State. And I felt like I should go to BYU-Idaho. And so I had, you know, signed up for a class online through BYU, and I kind of started applying to it and stuff. 
And as my wife and I started dating more and got more serious, um, you know, and she was going to Weber and she was here and, uh, you know, as things got rolling and we got engaged, um, you know, a while later, I asked the same question because I'm like, wait, uh, where am I supposed to go to school? Is it okay if I go to Weber? Because um, my wife's going there and that's kind of where I want to go. And I was only going to BYU to find a new a wife anyway. So, <laughs> you know, but if I've already found one. Um, so anyway, I got the answer of, um, yeah, you can go to Weber and you don't have to go to BYU-Idaho. And so I was like, okay, great. And then I was thinking about, well, that's weird. Why did I even get the... Um, answer in the first place to not go to Weber. Was that, you know, what, what's that about? And in hindsight, now I realize that if I would have signed up for Weber, then it would have been really hard having classes already when my wife and I were engaged that first bit that semester. And I ended up signing up for a class at BYU that was English. And so I took that and finished it online and then went to Weber. But when I transferred that class to Weber, it, their beginning English class is the second class that you have to take of English at Weber. So it actually knocked out the lower class and the second class. So that was advantageous. Um, and also, uh, I don't know, I think maybe just, you know, that answer that I got from God as I interpret it put me in the right direction, even though it may have, you know, I got, I drew conclusions from it that didn't end up happening. But I think sometimes God gives us answers that leads us in at least the right direction, even if we misunderstand the greater. So that's a long rant. <laughs> yeah, I know. I loved that. You brought up a lot of really good points. Um, I think probably one of my favorites, and, and I think something that at least happens to me fairly frequently, and, and I think does happen fairly frequently to a lot of people is, is the same answer you got from your first question, right? That, well, it, it doesn't really matter if you take this job. It's not going to change the eternal outcomes of things. And, and, and I think this ties in really well when we were talking about God's will. I think God's will is a lot more open than we think it to be, right? That there's not always just one answer. It's not always you need to go and take this job occasionally, and sometimes it will be. Sometimes it might be a page, right, as, as, it, as it's been said, a page from your book of possibilities, right? That you have so many choices and decisions you make every single day, and all of those choices will impact your life. Those major ones will greatly impact your life in various degrees. And, and I think God, sometimes, just to kind of mention on your, your second um, experiences that you had, um, sometimes the answers change depending on timing as well. Right, God sometimes might wait 400 years before he sends someone to go and free the Israelites from Egypt. Sometimes blacks might not receive the priesthood until a little bit later in life. Sometimes it, the Levites might be the only ones allowed to offer offerings in the tabernacle. Sometimes God's will is different that, depending on the time of things. But the ultimate eternal outcome will always be to follow what he has given you and to continue with that in faith. And to continue to seek new revelation on on those existing matters. Now, I think it's important to ask questions that, especially on these big issues in your life, and perhaps on the small ones as well, right? To pray over the flocks in your field as, as well. But I also think that, as it's been mentioned um, by some general authorities in the past, that you can get a little overboard on it. Uh, one 
one story, I believe it was Thomas S. Munson shared, but there, there was a, a husband and a wife and, and the wife was very proud of her husband because he prayed about everything. Right. And she mentioned that he'd even go to the store and, and pray about which brand of, of peanut butter to buy <laughs> and, <laughs> just to, to excess. Right now, perhaps if someone had poisoned one of the peanut butters or something like that, I'm sure God would have given them a good answer. But 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 the, the point is, communicate with God as your father, but as a perfect father, because he truly is a perfect father and he will communicate with you in a variety of ways through dreams or visions or probably more often than not through inspiration uh, in doctrine and covenants i believe it's section it's between six and eight somewhere around there but but essentially um in the revelation it talks about how when moses went to part the sea he was acting under the spirit of revelation which has always intrigued me a little bit i believe holland actually speaks on this a little bit but 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 the point is that even when he goes to part that sea you'd think that he would receive some revelation to do some but he continued with that same gift of inspiration i think that we live in our lives he took a step forward continued with what he believed to be true and with what god had commanded him to free the israelites on his path on his mission right and and perform these mighty works and, and receive revelation through likely inspiration and so i think as long as we continue to do what we can to stay pure to repent to be clean enough to have a blank page where god can actually write those words on us to some degree if that makes sense Figuratively speaking, speaking, I, I sure hope he doesn't <laughs> pull out a quill and start writing tattoos all over you. But, 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 but genuinely, as long as we're pure, faithful, and continue to seek revelation, we will receive it. Uh, not always in our own time, and not always in the own way that we would like it to come, but it will come. Hmm. I like that. Well, we've hit a lot of different angles there, and I think uh, that leaves us with a in a pretty good spot. And of course, there's always more to talk about. There's always more to do, but. Yeah, I hope that's beneficial or beneficial for our listeners there to hear our perspective. I'm sure you guys have your own insights too and things you could have added to the conversation. Um, on that note, I, I also want to note that we do have a link in the description where you guys can send us questions or things you'd like us to talk about or any comments on the show. Um, but uh, with that being said, I think that wraps us up for today. Um, anything else you wanted to add, Cade? No, that's it. Thank you. Okay, sounds great. All right, we'll see you guys next week with another episode. See ya.